Um, you guys have, have already, already heard from Sam, kind of met him a little bit. Um, again, my name is Garrett, in case you came in, came in a little bit late. I'm the lead pastor here at, at Delray Baptist. And um, uh, yeah, thanks again for, for coming tonight. Also, we have, uh, we have uh, Heather Robinson here. She's a member also at, at, at our church here. And um, she has a degree in psychology from American University. Is that right? Very good. And then uh, for the past number of years, she's been working in an anti-trafficking NGO here in the, in the D.C. area. Uh, she's about to just got accepted at seminary and going to be going there for counseling. So excited about that. And then we also have John Henderson, who is uh, he's an associate pastor here at, uh, at our church. And he has um, a counseling background, has a Ph.D. in counseling and i um, grateful to have you, you with us here tonight, John. So what I thought I'd do is I'm going to start with just a few questions, and then, uh, then we'll open it up for, for you guys. Um, how about, uh, how about well, let's start with, uh, with, with Heather and John. So tell us just a little bit more about, about yourselves and about why uh, the subject of the gospel and same-sex attraction, why it's, why it's important to, to you guys. So it's important to me because I've struggled with same-sex attraction for a long time. Uh, so that's the criteria I meet to be up here is I have struggled with it and I, I utterly depend on God's grace every day. Uh, that's all that has me up here. Um, it kind of swelled up and came to demand my attention, my same-sex attraction in, in high school and really college. Uh, where I was in a culture that totally celebrated uh, experimenting sexually and uh, just kind of celebrated and welcomed that all over. Um, And I had a beloved sister who had come out as a lesbian, and my family, for the most part, had really supported and also celebrated that. So as same-sex attraction started growing up in me, and I realized, oh, this is different. I don't know what to do about this. It sort of, it felt really inevitable that I would just become a lesbian. That, that was the thing. That was the path for me. Um, the tricky part, <laughs> I, I also was a Christian, and I, I really believed that Jesus was real. He was very, very real, raw, gritty, very real to me, and that relationship was, was my life, was a big part of my life. So began this very secret, consuming war of same-sex attraction, which is very consuming, and... Jesus is real, and I, I don't know what to do about this. Hmm. So somehow, despite having a lot of sorry, uh, a lot of codependent and healthy same-sex friendships, before I acted out in a relationship or physically or got into pornography, I was, I think, just seconds away from that in a lot of places. But before I acted out in that, I sort of stumbled in this very awkward confession <laughs> to two very startled friends that, uh, this goes on inside me, and I don't know what to do. And they were kind to me. And so that, they prayed for me, and most importantly, they didn't let me hide. And that began this very, you know, awful, fabulous, wonderful process of, of freedom, <laughs> yeah. which is messy and real, and, and I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it, you know, April 22nd, whatever day we are. It's, it's very real to me. Um, so uh, it was a freedom and understanding and appreciating my gender as a female, my identity and my sexuality within that context. It was, it was a very long process. So I'm, I'm here tonight. It, it's applicable to me because I, I'm in that, and I have experienced a lot of freedom, and that's very real to me and, and can be just a tiny sample of, of proof of hope that 
that Jesus is more, and mm. and that's that's everyday real to me. So mm. I'll leave it at that. That's super encouraging. Thanks, sister. Yeah, I, I've been in the world of either pastoral ministry, counseling ministry for near 20 years, and so this has been just an ever-increasing, growing, common conversation with just men and women I serve at least weekly, and, and just just my primary prayer, desire, concern is how do I help people know, love, delight, worship, follow Jesus? And so this is one of many conversations that are wrapped up in that bigger, broader conversation of what does it mean to, to love God and trust God and delight in God and be satisfied in him? Married to Ruth, 16 years, we've got five kiddos. And so it's also just our bodies and our lives and, and sexuality is just also wrapped in and conversations with my own children and just what does it mean to love Christ and follow Christ and what does it mean when he redeems us and every part of us and and so both as a dad as a neighbor as a pastor as a counselor um, it's just it's just part of conversations I'm in weekly mm-hmm. it's so. great and one of the things that's come up in both both Sam and Heather and both of your, your stories is talking about relationships with, with other Christians. Um, and I, I don't know if it was just my perception because I became a Christian when I was 21 um, that, that a, lot of, a lot of issues and particularly maybe issues of same-sex attraction was not something you ever wanted to talk about in the church. So tell us just a little about in your journeys, what, what have you found helpful in the church that's made... Um, encouragement, able to, to come, exhortations, be able to be received? And then also, what have you found that has not been helpful um, in, in, in the local church in regards to walking in this, this journey? Yeah, um, I, so if, I, if I, I became a Christian when I was 18, I was already aware that I was same-sex attracted at that stage. It was about, it was over 10 years before I felt able to tell my friends my Christian friends, that this was an issue. Some of that was because of a false perception on my part that they might not want to know me anymore if I was someone who had that kind of issue. But actually some of it also was some of the things I'd heard Christians do and say. So it kind of answers both halves of the questions. I, I'd, I'd like what kinds of things have you heard them do and say that, that made it well, this, terrifying? I'm, I'm hoping this is, this is the exception these days rather than the norm, but um, certainly... I can think of one good Christian friend who kept using the word gay as a pejorative for something he didn't like. So he'd talk about something and say, oh, that's just really gay. And that just made me think, huh, I don't think I'm ever going to be someone who lets you into this particular part of what's going on in my life. I'd heard other Christians kind of make jokes about how one, this may just be British men who do this kind of stuff, but I remember one guy um, in my church said of his son, he says, there's only two things my son that would, could do that would ever make me disown him. One is not support Arsenal and the other one is be gay. And I know he was joking and not really meaning it, but it still made me think you're not going to be a safe person mm-hmm. to talk to. And so it's just little comments like that that create a kind of sense of I'm not supposed to have this issue if I'm a Christian. Yeah. And if I I'm kind of letting the side down by having this issue. Now, what, what changed that was actually um, my pastor at the time, at the, this particular church I was a, a member of, 
was preaching on Romans 1, which is one of the passages that does explicitly mention homosexuality in the New Testament. And as he got to that topic, he just kind of paused in the sermon and said, listen, this, is, this whole issue of homosexuality is a really, really tender and sensitive issue. And he said, um, it will be an issue for many of us in this building today. And he said, if that's you, if you're someone who is, is finding this to be a personal issue for you, I really hope you don't feel you have to kind of suffer in silence. But um, if, if you want to chat to anyone about that, please do come and have a word. We'd love to hear you and, and encourage you. And that just suddenly made me feel like, oh, it's, it's okay to tell him because he's, he's actually expecting some Christians to, to battle with this issue and that that's okay to battle with this issue. So that kind of gave me permission, but he had to kind of be as explicit as he was for me to feel like I had permission. And so we just need to work hard in our our churches and Christian friendships at creating that culture where this is safe to talk about. That's good. Good. Yeah, I would just add, I had one friend who just said that's really dirty, not helpful. Um, Jokes, not helpful. And I, I find I often make jokes about something that I'm not quite comfortable with. My voice goes up and I don't know what to do. So I'm making a joke. And often if we're, if we're nervous, we're going to try to make it funny to lighten it up. Not helpful. Um, and things that were helpful, uh, safe people, um, asking questions, admitting, I don't really know what to do with you or I don't know what to do about that. Can you help me understand what that means for you? That was kind. Um, I'd say also not helpful the kind of, so I, um, so the two friends I did share with were so kind and silent for a moment and then prayed for me and encouraged me, but had friends other times that were just silent and then moved on. That was really, uh, really painful. How, how do you know they were safe? Is there something that said, okay, this person's safe to open up to? Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Those two friends, I... The first two friends, (laughs) poor poor souls, where it was a total gamble. I was just exploding. Since then, it was um, other folks who had shared um, in regeneration here at church who had shared. um, They struggled, and I was like, oh, my gosh. They made an invitation, and I went up later and said, me too. Um, Yeah, and I think just the character in their lives, being sensitive, folks who didn't make jokes, yeah, kindness. I think for me, as I was starting to tell friends, I was thinking, of all the people I know, who do I want to talk to about this? And one of the things that made someone safe was that they, you could just tell they were someone who knew about brokenness. Maybe in an issue totally unrelated to this, but you had the sense that they just knew, yeah, life can, can, be, can be tough sometimes. And that actually kind of made me think they're going to get the fact that there's something I'm really struggling with and, and feeling weighed down by because they just know that's what life is like so that for me was quite a big thing that's that makes someone approachable mm-hmm. yeah and I think that's one of the things that that's in a church what makes a church healthy is when you preach the gospel and that Jesus is big because when Jesus is big everybody recognizes at the cross that we're all sinners before him and that we need mercy and that we want to we want to create that kind of environment where everybody knows they need they need grace um but those those are really those are helpful helpful insights, John. For for you as someone who's who's counseling regularly with people, helping them think about how the gospel applies uh, to their life. If someone comes to you and says, "Okay, I'm I'm struggling with same sex attraction," 
Um, what, what kind of things in that initial conversation and ongoing conversations, what are the things that you want them to know and understand, and kind of in what order do you want them to understand them? How, how do you help somebody process? I mean, as of tonight, I'd love for them to know everything Sam shared earlier. And so certainly just the sweep of what he shared with us and just the way he walked through Scripture, just the heart of God, the love of God, Christ. But I think to back it up, when I'm first sitting, if this is a member of our church or someone from the community or a Christian who's coming in begins to open up and share this, I think the first thing I want them to know is just how grateful I am for them, just how thankful I am for their just openness, transparency. I mean, I would want them to know how much I care about them, how much I want their true good, um, how, how much I desire just the whole of them to be the Lord's. And, and so I think there's this horizontal thing that I would actually start there, not vertically. I probably wouldn't start with what I think God would say to them um, because I don't think that's their first question. I think their first question, is, even y'all shared, is what, are you, what do you think now? And so just being able to convey gratitude, thanksgiving, praise for God, anytime there's confession of weakness, struggle, fears, doubts. Because I think every one of us as honest Christians have some sense and some scale of what it means to say things that open us up uh, and make us vulnerable, whatever those may be. And so to be able to say, you know, what do I, what comforts me to hear from other believers in these moments? Hmm. So that's the first. I think then secondly, I want them to know, yeah, God, God loves you. God made you. God cares for you. And then back to some of what Sam said, just for the whole of you not just this area of your life, but the whole thing, that Christ knows you and is near to you. And, and then thirdly, that, that the gospel's powerful and, and that change is inevitable, but that that doesn't all have to happen before you leave today. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that more than anything, almost just the encouragement of taking the pressure off of the expectation that, okay, you great that you came here let's get this figured out this week um and just the weight of as opposed to all right here we go just this is part of the lifelong until we see the lord um i think i'd also in some way over time want to convey that there is something about where they're struggling that really is common to all people um sam and i were talking earlier that you know jonathan edwards loved to write about the affections and just the loves and hates of the soul. And, and one way he thought about it was what really one thing that captures what the affections are is what we're attracted to and what we're repelled by. And so he argued that we all came into the world as fallen, sort of sinful people with all of our attractions in the wrong places. And with our, or we're either attracted to the wrong things or we're attracted to good things in the right ways. And the things that sh- should attract us we're repelled by. And that what the gospel is doing in the deepest way in all of us is completely reorienting all of our loves, mm-hmm. all of our attractions, all of our loves and our hates. And so to be able to convey that, so there's something that is actually fundamentally human with where they're struggling. Mm-hmm. That sort of we're, we're sort of all struggling in that same place. Mm-hmm. And to be able to share and communicate that. But then in another way, there's a way that they're going to be struggling in a way that's similar to all Christians. That we're all somewhere in this sanctification thing and putting off certain things, putting on certain things, but then completely at the mercy of God to transform us 
over time. Mm -hmm. But then there's going to be another way that they're going to have certain struggles that they share only with other believers who struggle with same-sex attraction. Ways that other men and women are going to uniquely identify with them that others can't. Mm -hmm. But then there'll be another way in which they're struggling that only they are struggling where they are absolutely, humanly speaking, alone. But then the comfort that Jesus is in every sphere. We're so complex, aren't we? Every layer, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. That even at some point, to be able to say, at some point you're going to get somewhere where no one understands except Christ. And and he'll be there. And it's part of what I think makes him so big Mm -hmm. and beautiful and lovely. And he'll almost see to it. There's times where he just gets us completely alone. Um, so those would be just some of the things I think I'd want to. Praise God. Um, I've got one more question for us before we, before we open it up to everybody. Um, so even doing this tonight is kind of a, I kind of wanted to do it because I think it's an important thing for us to talk about. But there's another, another sense in which this is just not what Christianity is all about. And Sam, you mentioned this in your, in your talk. You did a great job of focusing us on the gospel and on Christ but how do, you, how do you think that we, as we who, who are Christians, how should we be interacting with this, this issue? Because we live in a culture right now where not, not only does the world desire Christians to be silent on this issue, but they're actually calling for us to speak and affirm it as a good thing and to deny some of the things that are clearly in the Scriptures. So how do we, how do we seek to walk as believers who want to be focused supremely on Christ and on the gospel, but we're living in a day and age where people are saying, where are you on this issue? And it, it makes it look like this is what Christians are always talking about, when actually the world is what talking about it, and we're getting pulled into it. Just any wisdom on how we should be navigating this as, as believers? Um, I, I think I love what we heard earlier from the other Heather, about um, grace and truth because those two things we know were perfectly expressed in Jesus and I think biblically those two things always go together and so if we think we have one without the other actually we we don't have either and so if we think well I'm, I'm being truthful and I don't care how they feel about that that's not biblical truth because biblical truth is kind and winsome, at times challenging, but always burdened and caring for the other. And similarly, kindness in the Bible, grace in the Bible is truth-telling. And so if we think, well, I'm just going to be a a grace Christian and let someone else do the truth bit, we're not being gracious. Mm. And so it just makes us think, and Heather was right, some of us will lean more towards one error than, than another. And so we need to think, well, if I if I know I've got to say something, what is the most kind, thoughtful, gracious, and loving way, not just that I can say it, but that I can be to that person so the context in which they're hearing it means that they hear and feel the love of God even if I'm saying something difficult. Mm. Most of the time that means we should really only, I think, where we can get into this issue with people who we have got to know and we may just have to, someone may just come up and say, what do you think about this? And we may just have to answer. But I think as far as we can, we want to have a relationship with someone first because then we can, I hope, give a sort of a rounded sense of being for them, being mm-hmm. 
compassionate towards them before we then start saying what we think. Uh, in my experience, people will listen to Christians they know they disagree with when they know the Christian is someone who has really listened to them. And so if I meet someone who, particularly someone who identifies as LGBT, any, anything like that, actually the first thing I want to do is just really get a sense of, of who they are, the journey they've been on, what that's been like, before I even deign to sort of say, here's what I think you know, God would want you to know. I think if we model that interest and listening, actually we're conveying something of the disposition God has to us. And it just gives us a better sense of where to approach the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's one of the difficulties in our day is there's so much done on the media and social media and this kind of stuff where there's not relationship. And it's, it's, we're going after topics and ideas and, and not having personal conversations. I think, that's, I think it's, that's good stuff, Sam. Excellent. Well, why don't we, why don't we do this? We'd love to, to turn it over to, to you, you guys. You've been, having a, been very patient, you've been listening. I uh, hope it's been encouraging, but we, we want to hear what kind of questions uh, you might have. Uh, just, just a reminder, this is an opportunity for questions, uh, so not, not a great time for a speech. Um, and also those, those questions, um, as succinct as possible, is, is really helpful. So um, if you just want to put your hand up, the way it'll work is we've got, we've got guys running mics here, and um, we'll, get, we'll get the mic to you, and then you can, you can do your questions. So... We'll start on, on this side. If you'll just, uh, if you would, just give us your name, um, and uh, that way we know who we're talking to. Okay. Maybe is it on? Hello, hello. Yeah. Uh, mini speech. Thank you for setting this up, Garrett. This has been very good. So thank you. Question for Sam. Um, Jesus talked about it in in Matthew, and you pointed that out. And and I wondered if you could comment on in First Corinthians chapter seven. Paul talks a lot about. The, what he called the kind of the gift of celibacy and the, the benefits of that if you're single or if you're a widow and 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 really making the point that it's it, it's a gift you have an opportunity to serve in a way that others who are maybe burdened is the wrong word with that with a family with a wife they're trying to please and that kind of thing could you talk to that a little bit about this maybe a gift that it is in terms of your ability to serve the kingdom yeah thank you um so yes you're right paul in in First Corinthians 7 talks about celibacy not just as a kind of, oh well, never mind, you, you know, consolation prize if you're not married kind of thing, <laughs> but actually as, a, as something that has its own intrinsic kind of goodness. So he spoke about marriage and singleness both as gifts, as, as gifts of grace. And he, he unpacked that in, in a couple of particular ways. He said that those of us who are, are single are spared certain troubles, um, as, a, as a pastor and as a friend, I get to see a lot of family life up close. He had dinner with us tonight and our four kids. That's a really kind way of saying that he saw at our house today. Um, and you do see, uh, I mean, the, the great thing is you see both sides of family life. You see the kind of the upsides of the kind of the moment when the kids are precocious and cute and slightly soft focus. And it's just one of those lovely poster moments. And you see the other side where, you know, I've been, not today, but uh, other occasions when I've been around to, to someone's house and I've just thought, how long is it before I can go home to my, <laughs> to my nice, quiet home? And this is World War Three, 
there's kind of mucus flying across the room and people screaming at each other and I'm kind of like, it's very nice being here, can I get home yet? <laughs> so there are certain troubles that we're spared and I, you know, quite apart from the, the, the jokey side of it, there can be some utter heartbreak that you go through as a, as a parent and as a husband or a wife. Certain heartaches I'm being spared by not being married. Um, Paul also talks about the kind of opportunities that you have as a single person that you wouldn't have otherwise. He speaks of being able to serve the Lord in a, a more kind of focused way. So because I'm not having to kind of ferry kids back and forth from school and from sports clubs and, and kind of sync my schedule to my wife's schedule, it gives me a bit more bandwidth to be thinking about how can I be a blessing to other people. Um, and actually one of, the, one of the great blessings I think is as a single person you, have a, you, can have, you have the capacity for a greater range and depth of friendships than if you were, if you were married um, I was talking to someone about this just a couple of days ago who'd Skyped me, he's a Christian with same sex attraction and he's saying I can't cope with the fact that I'm, I'm, looks like I'm not going to be able to get married ever to a woman, I just don't have those feelings and I can't cope with the thought of, that I won't ever have the intimacy my heart longs for. It was a kind of heartbreaking email. But as we spoke about, as we were chatting, I said, um, there's, there's something I just want to say that I think, there's something underpinning the way you're feeling that I think isn't true. And I said, you are equating intimacy with a sexual romantic relationship. And those, you know, sexual romantic relationships are, are meant to be a, a wonderful way of receiving intimacy, but they're not the only way of receiving intimacy. Uh, we, we can live without sex. Uh, we're not designed to live without intimacy. We are designed to be known and loved and to know others and to love others. And my experience has been, and it's taken several years to kind of get to this point, is that I've, God has given me a very generous gang of friends where I feel actually I am really, really well known to these friends. There's nothing actually that I can't say to them. And we're actually, they know my soul and I know theirs. And that is a wonderful gift. Mm -hmm. And I can have that kind of relationship actually with a wider range of people because I'm single than if I was married. And by the way, married people, you need friends as well. So that, again, our culture tends to say that, well, if you've got your romantic other half, that is all of your emotional and friendship needs met. The Bible says that ain't so. And if you think that person is going to deliver all of those goods, you're putting a burden on them they're not designed to bear. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways I've seen marriages kind of implode in church life is because people have tried to kind of make their marriage a, a kind of self-sufficient, pull up the drawbridge, we're meant to be everything to each other mm -hmm. and we're not wired like that. That's good. So that was a long way around of saying actually we have more bandwidth to, to serve, to, to know other people, to be involved in other people's lives and for people to be involved in our lives. There's a particular way you can do that as a single person that you can't do that as a married person. And, really and really even take risks for the gospel. You know, Paul's going to say in light of the present distress it's better not to marry. There's just there's 
as a single man, if I'm going on a mission trip, we're going to tack on 10 days in some really dangerous part of the world. I don't think about it the way I would if I'm married and have children. I go, okay, that's, I'm going to think differently now um, than just, yeah, go risk everything in the same way. So there's just that freedom. It's really good. Good stuff. We have a question over here. Yeah. Good evening. My name is Christopher. Uh, this is a question is for anyone on the panel who wishes to take it. I wonder if you could give those of us who are parents, particularly of small children, advice in how to uh, communicate uh, matters of same-sex attraction to our children. I'm thinking particularly I have two children, the oldest of which is four, who is in public school and has peers and classmates and will increasingly have classmates who have uh, two mothers or two dads, and how to communicate to them uh, God's design, like from what we understand Jesus saying in Matthew 19, marriage is between a man and a woman, but not to the point where they take that and they run to school and say something's wrong with you or with your parents. How do, because it, we talked about grace and truth, and as difficult as that is for those of us who are adults to communicate that, I think it's even more challenging for a small four-year-old mind to, to communicate both at the same time. So any thoughts on how we could speak with our children as they increasingly have peers who are going to have same-sex parents that's a that's a great question john you've been a parent longer than me so <laughs> yeah so we taught our kids early on that santa claus wasn't real we didn't um, it was just yet. a decision we had made that you know we we were going to just lay that out there so 20 percent of the time around santa claus was teaching that he's he's for fun it's a great symbol sort of cultural and then 80% of our conversation was around what you don't say in everybody else's house. Um, <laughs> because they could destroy a lot of little kiddos' lives um, with that information. Um, or Easter bunnies. Or... And so I would say that fits it. There's just so many things that were to teach our children, I think, positively from the scripture. Here's male, female, husbands, wives, families, parents, children, and Here's God's good gifts and good design. And, and then now here's what you do with those truths relationally. And now here's how you love one another who don't see it that way, don't believe it that way, whether it's Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, sexuality, um, private school, public school, the, the playground. And then and so there's that upfront work. And then there's just plenty of times where we have to go back through and repair relationships um, and work through repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation because of rash things, not just our kids say, but what we say. Mm-hmm. So, Can I just add to that? I'm not a parent, but I, I watch other people's kids a lot um, and see kind of some of the dynamics. We, we are, children will often pick up not just what the parent says, but the, the demeanor and the tone that the parent is, is modeling. And so there's a way of teaching, again, what we think is truth in a way that is there are bad people out there who think differently and wrongly and and we think rightly. And we can very easily breed little Pharisees. And so I think whenever we're talking about something that might be a, a bit of a critique of the world around us, I'm hoping that if we're Christian parents, our kids have been imbibing long before this moment that actually we are nothing ourselves without Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and so they're not hearing this as a kind of there's a little siege thing going on and there's the nasty bad people out there and we're better and good because that will 
not breed Christians that will breed nasty little judgmental kind of Pharisees so I love the way you say it's trying to kind of make sure our our children are kind of having the right demeanor as well as the right understanding that's good that's where the, the gospel in the home is so important where we're all regularly confessing our sins and mommy and daddy are regularly confessing that we don't have it together and we're we're real sure the kids don't have it together, but we're helping them all to figure out how to, how to do that and, and do that together. I think that, that creates a posture, hopefully, in the home. Um, and also having people regularly in who are not like us. So hopefully neighbors and other people who are in our homes, and we're going to be able to have conversations with, with our kiddos along the way. So Lord, help us as we, as we try and navigate these waters. It's good. Um, any other questions? Got another one? Yes. My question relates What's to... What's your name again? Oh, my name is Leanna Stockton. Leanna, all right. My question is for anybody on the panel, maybe more Sam and Heather, but relating to believers who experience same-sex attraction but choose to identify with a gay lifestyle, the example being my, I have a brother in my family, grew up in the Bible-believing home. He acknowledged same-sex attraction a couple years ago has progressively begun to identify with that lifestyle, simultaneously beginning to drift away from his view of the scriptures. But I would love to hear any thoughts on how to respond to someone who contends as a believer that homosexuality um, is part of the fall, but that a loving, committed gay relationship redeems that, and that that's where he finds really the that what completes him but how to show him love and sensitivity but also challenge him with the truth knowing that he is also professing to be a follower of Christ Hmm. (laughs) read Sam's book no (laughs) I uh, I'll just say I'm so glad you're asking that question I have um, my oldest sister is I mean I, I just love her to pieces she's one of the closest people to me in the world and is is openly a lesbian and she began contending that I don't I don't think Jesus and same-sex attraction I don't think it's exclusive sorry um and now more proclaims I don't think Jesus is real this is my life so so it started out that but my first reaction was fear and I just shut down the conversation and then we opened it back up and healed into that so just that the conversation is open that you're that you are relating to him, that you are loving him, that you're chasing after him, I think is just incredible in and of itself. Um, Sam went in, in his book a, a lot into the depths of, of why in Scripture what Jesus is talking about is not, not just commitment or faithfulness or um, just one partner. It's, it's just pretty obvious and clear that it's, it's not talking about that. So I can pass it over to you on that. But just that you're engaging him, just that you care, just that you're brave enough to chase after him is exceptional and sounds like Jesus. I think keep praying as well. Persevere in prayer. And sometimes the Spirit does directly what we can't do indirectly in someone's heart. Um, It depends on the kind of relationship you have. I think if we've proven beyond doubt that we are for them that we're always going to be there for them wherever they land on this issue will not diminish our love for them that often gives us permission I think to say quite challenging things to someone and I can think of people members of my church where I've had to say and they've been on a similar trajectory of embracing this and then gradually 
their view of Jesus and scripture changes. At times I just, I feel able to say to them, listen, you're changing your, your views on this. I get that, I can see that. But let's just be honest here, you're not changing them because of new information, you're changing them because of your heart. So, that, you know, if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. But don't, don't pretend you've, you've got an insight now that you didn't have a few years ago. You know, just, just be, have integrity on that point. And sometimes it's helpful just to, in one sense, call their bluff and say, you're changing your mind because of your feelings. Um, if that's what you're doing, at least kind of own up to that. Yeah. Um, and this is where the grace and truth together are, are really, you just got to pray for wisdom of when to say what to say, but... You know, as a pastor who's regular, I mean, dealing with people or whatever the sin may be, there's, there's very strong warnings in the scripture about people who will, who will look at God's word and say, I, I don't care what it says, I'm going to do what I want to do. There's really strong warnings. So, I mean, this is from Galatians. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, like, that's not, that's not, I mean, we, that's, it's in the, it's in the scriptures, and it's echoed throughout the scriptures, that, that following Jesus begins with what, what, what Sam began, began with tonight, is that there's a call to repent and to believe where our lives are no longer our own. Now, that doesn't mean that Christians don't struggle with these things. We certainly do. I mean, that list, I mean, who in this room can't find themselves in this list and, and is struggling, right? Um, but to have a posture of a heart that says, I don't, I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. I just would in, encourage any of us, wherever our friends or family members are who are having that posture, we should warn them that that's not a safe place to be. We, we don't get to kind of redefine things. It's, it's God's world. And that takes great patience and love and prayer, 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 that it would land well. Um, but those are the kinds of conversations that, these kinds of conversations that somebody had with me about some sin I was persisting in that saved my life. I think it saved my life. So I'm, I'm, I praise God for that, but we, we will certainly pray. I have some questions over, over here. Ty, get some mics. We'll go one, then we'll go, you can go next. Okay. My name's Anthony, and my question is for Sam and Heather. What do you believe may have caused your same-sex attractions? Good question. Did you hear the question? What, made it, what might have caused your same-sex attraction? I don't know. Is the answer whether I have some kind of genetic predisposition that may have led me towards it? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I don't know. I know I've met some people where you can clearly see from the kind of trajectory of their life that there's been something that has affected their relationship to the same gender, and sometimes you can kind of extrapolate a bit and think, yeah, I can see this may have fed into that, but I know so many other people who've not had any obvious triggers for it. And in one sense, it doesn't make much of a difference to, to my understanding of it to know where it came from. Um, if, it, if it turns out I was born with it, all that tells me is that it just reminds me uh, all of us were born 
out of sync with God anyway. So I, I was born with all kinds of dispositions that aren't, aren't godly. Being born with something doesn't make it right yeah. because we know that actually we, we weren't born right. So Lady, Lady Gaga was right. We were born that way. I mean, like, it's, it's really true. Like, we were born broken. All of us are. So Jonathan Edwards here and Lady Gaga here. That says a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> but Jesus said you must be born again. <laughs> so actually, yes. we didn't, we didn't yes. get it right the first time around. Yeah. So um, even if it is something we're born with. <laughs> so I don't know in my case, but um, in one sense, I don't need to know. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think I had a few things that exacerbated it, just in a really dysfunctional family, um, divorce, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of codependency, a lot of all the isms, just just really unhealthy. And so it just really dramatically affected me. So kind of the first stable relationship was with a girl, and I just totally like leaned into it as a kid. And I was like, well, this is, I mean, this is maybe a longer conversation, but... Um, yeah, there are a lot of things that I think contributed to me being generally unhealthy and certain sins being exacerbated more than others. But, but I also don't, I don't know where it started. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just know that Jesus is bigger and he's not scared of it. And it, it used to be much more important to me that I like kind of found the beginning of it, but it, it's not so much anymore. So. Maybe a slightly different question. Do, do you ever think about for what purpose? God has granted this? Not so much what's the cause, but to what divine purpose? To some extent, yes. And we um, we read providence backwards and not forwards, don't we? It's, we? We must be careful not to kind of assume we know why God allows a certain things to happen until we've got enough hindsight to see how he's used it. But I can certainly think of many good things that have come as a result of this particular issue in my life, it is. Um, it's. I would be far more proud than I already am, were it not for this issue. It's been a way in which God has kept reminding me of how weak I am in myself and how much I need Him. I'm English, so I'm already quite obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> Comes with the uh, territory, but um, I would be even more ob- obnoxious, I'm sure, were it not for this issue. I think it's given me a bit more of a sense of empathy and compassion. I, I get the, the struggle that there is often in life. And so even if someone's sharing with me about a very different kind of issue, I, I think I feel for them more than I would have done. And it, it's given me the opportunity to, like I said, it, it's been a means by which I've been able to deepen a number of friendships. And I hope to be of service in the teaching I've ended up doing on it as well so there's, there's all kinds of stuff we don't always know the purpose but we sometimes it's enough just to know that there is a purpose that's good Tyler is a sister here and then we'll go on the side afterwards again give us your name please yeah. um, I'm Christina and Heather I wanted to ask you well, how would you encourage women in the church to care for other women who have same sex attraction without encouraging those unhealthy codependent relationships. So if we find ourselves with a sister, or I guess in a male believer's case with a brother saying, I struggle with this, but we start to feel, you know, I don't want to be codependent. I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to deflect and point to Jesus. Can you speak to how we can go about that? That's an awesome question. Yeah, good question. Set good boundaries. Ask. 
uh, so for me, ask, folks asking me, what are your triggers? Um, and praying for me, um, I think in those boundaries, um, I think you can, I think hanging out in groups is really good. Certainly being vulnerable when I'm one is good and praying for each other, but there was a while for me kind of uh, sobering up. I just hung out in groups because one-on-one, I just, I was too addicted to that kind of attention and it just was too much. So there was a while of hanging out in groups. So boundaries, praying for each other, asking what the triggers are and staying away from those, hanging out in groups, I'd say. I'd be interested to hear the same for you, Sam. Any advice for, for brothers who want to be uh, good brothers to, to our friends who are, who are wrestling with this or if we're, we're personally wrestling with it, things that we should be communicating to, to other brothers and how do we navigate those waters? Yeah, a lot of it will, will be common to both men and women, I think. Um, so all of the above in terms of boundaries and, and so on. Underst- again, understanding the triggers helps because if we know that actually this kind of situation is more likely to, to kind of inflame some of those feelings, then we need the wisdom to avoid that kind of situation. Uh, a couple of general things. I think we want to be... Sometimes I think men find this more tricky than women. As a, a same-sex attracted Christian, I'd, I'd say to all of us, please don't assume that anyone who could be attracted to you therefore must be attracted to you. <laughs> I've had a lot of guys kind of say to me in effect, you know, I, I don't want to be a stumbling block for you. And I'm like... Verily, <laughs> um, <laughs> verily, I say unto you, you are not a stumbling block to me. So sometimes people can be a bit nervous of thinking, man, if I go near them, are they going to suddenly get a crush on me? Um, sometimes that, that's a little bit of arrogance, perhaps, on, on your part, if that's your chief fear with everybody else on the planet, that they'll, you know, you're that irresistible. Um, so I don't think, don't, don't fear being close to someone for whom this is an issue recognize that there is a kind of closeness that is healthy and good and a kind of closeness that that isn't and help them teach you what the difference is between the two. And I think for me, one of the most important things that's helped me is not avoiding close friendships because actually we need close friendships, but making sure in my case, I've got a good spread of them. And so no one friend becomes the kind of undue focus of my kind of intimacy and confidence and acceptance. Um, I, I talk about it often in terms of making sure no one person becomes my Messiah friend, where it feels like that's the person where I'm truly understood and have intimacy and all the rest of it. So for me, the, having a group of friends is a great protection um, against that, actually. So I don't have anything that I only tell that person that I wouldn't tell someone else. I think we had somebody over here. Eric, who's got it? Yep. My name's Joe. Um, first of all, Sam, thank you for your book. I think you do a fantastic job in helping Christians think about this issue. Um, an issue that's close to it that I don't think I've read a lot or heard about is transsexual issues. And how would you, in your book, you say that there are some Christians who are able to overcome their desire and be married and attracted to people of the opposite sex, but some who may not. For someone who's struggling with a gender identity that doesn't match their biological sex, how would you think through that? And do you think it's a similar struggle in terms of they may not be able to overcome it in this fallen world? 
Yeah, thank you for raising that. Uh, that that's obviously a, a huge issue that would warrant far more time than we can give it can give it now. There are there are certain things that are there's a bit of an overlap between those two issues, and there's a lot of things that are quite different. One of the overlaps, I think, is that in both cases, we're operating from within the same cultural framework of the real me is the person I really feel deep down myself to be. And that, that trumps everything else. Sorry to mention the word trump. Um, <laughs> um, so even if my, my biological sex is... So I'm English, I can say these things. Even if my biological sex is, is this, the person I feel myself to be is what wins. And so the way we do our understanding what a human is today privileges our psychology over our biology. And so what I want to do with, with the issue of transgenderism is try and go upstream of it and say, let, let's... Let's rethink what it means to be a human and how we know who and what we are as human beings. And that's where I think, again, as Christians, we have, we have very good news because we have a better way of accounting for who we are as human beings. And part of that is understanding the goodness and significance of our physical, bodily existence, that our bodies are not just accidental and incidental and arbitrary but actually they also give us clues as to who God has made us to be so I think we, we want to have a slightly more integrated understanding of, of the body and the soul together as being reflective of who God has made us to be but because we live in a fallen world none of us has an entirely straightforward relationship to our body in many cases because our bodies don't work properly and we, get, we have chronic health issues. In other cases, it's because we feel like the body doesn't express who I think I am. Uh, in other cases, people kind of think their body is so amazing it becomes a bit of an idol. So that we, we don't have an entirely healthy relationship with our bodies anyway. And again, I think a, a kind of understanding of, of the gospel helps us with that. Jesus came incarnate in a body he affirms the goodness of bodily human life and his resurrection shows us that our ultimate destiny is a completely integrated bodily life as well and therefore we shouldn't just dismiss the body and say well it's just a, an arbitrary thing I can overrule it with who I really think I am I think the Christian understanding of identity is more nuanced the only other thing I'd say on this is that actually any time we try to come up with our own identity of who we are, it will never fit as well as we think it will. Um, it, it's a great comfort to me to know that God made me. David can say even of himself as a fallen human being that, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, it's a comfort to me that God knows me far, far, far better than I know myself. And therefore, the only identity that will really fit me is the identity God gives me. And I think one of the tragedies of some of these issues at the moment is people will think, well, this is who I feel myself to be, so I'm going to pursue that identity. And once I've got that identity in place, then I will be fulfilled and happy. 
And the tragedy is these things don't deliver the goods. And again, we, we need as, as Christians to come alongside. Whatever we think of what someone thinks on these issues, often the pain is very, very real. That's good. Um, we're going we're gonna to take a, a few more questions. Um, let's start over here. Yeah, your name Hi, again? Yeah, Doug. I had a question for all of you. Um, when it comes to what you are saying tonight, I think that we all agree that once we get into a relationship where someone is interested, that we've all had struggles with, with everything, that we can be uh, of light and of grace. What about the workplace? You know, we about 170 hours a week, and a lot of us, I would say, are spending at least maybe a quarter, if not a third of that time in a workplace. And I know with my own experience in the government, when we had mandatory age training, and we got to the break, the literature was all about promoting the gay uh, lifestyle, and I had a problem with that because back in health class, if you had age training, you learned about IV uh, needle use. You used, you know, same-sex marriage or same-sex. It, it just was not going to be good, at least for the AIDS discussion. So I'm getting a little further out of here. I want to say is, what's our role in the workplace? We want to develop a relationship, and we want to be seen as light that someone can be attracted to, in terms of talking about the Lord. In terms of the Lord saying we're not going to be popular, we know that in terms of how we're going to stand on the truth. How do you blend that? How do you balance that? With, uh, like I said again, with, with you, it's uh, people are coming to you. With us, it might be that we stand on our truth, but we also want to be inviting for someone to be interested in talking to us. So the question is in the workplace, what's our role when it yeah. is to a larger issue in terms of wanting to also be inviting to someone to talk to us, but standing with the truth in terms of what's the global issues these days? It's a great question, and and I don't know you well enough to know exactly what kind of counsel is going to be best for you, because uh, I, I think with each of us, it's going to be, as, as someone knows us, they're going to be able to give us really good counsel of either, maybe you should probably say more, or maybe you should probably say less. So I, I don't know you well enough to give the exact counsel. I think, I think it's not just this issue. Christians are, we're aliens in this world, regardless of whether this was the cultural thing that's going on right now and pressing on us. We've always been different in that sense. So I think that we just want to, I would encourage you to be very prayerful that God would help you to be distinct in the way that you treat others, the way that you love others, um, that you would have wisdom of when to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't be a part of something, um, to do that in private, to not, you know, stand on your desk and be like, I'm against this, like that's just not going to be super helpful. Um, but, but knowing what it means to take, to take stands, to try and do that um, as graciously and patiently as, as possible, but also be willing to know that, that, I mean, for those of us who are Christians, there'll be, a, there'll be people who will lose their jobs over, over faithfully representing Christ and, and being able to say yes and no to particular things in the workplace, and I think that's going to take some, some courage and, and some, some wisdom. But do you guys, guys and girls have anything to, to add that you think would be really helpful? Um, I just have a set of very clear red flags or boundaries that I don't cross so I would never sacrifice going across those to share the gospel with someone I know that sounds a little weird if if I'm like oh man I really that person needs to hear the word but I know that I can't do it I would ask someone else or or say like hey praying for this person I can't do that I've got these things (laughs) and I'd pray for them and encourage them so I just know I'm weak and I know my limits. So. Hmm. John, anything else? 
I mean, I, I think it always helps in any relationships or situation if there's a broader just context established of just we love Christ, follow Christ in these areas of life and love those that we're around, whatever it may be. And so I think even as Sam shared tonight, that, that what is the message of the scripture? I mean, what, is, what does it mean to repent and believe? And so I would hope that over time in our workplaces, if we're there, people hopefully know we're followers of Christ. They know we love the in such a way that we're, we're able to have those individual conversations um, across, because in 10 years, it, it may be a very different situation. I mean, that's part of, of across the, every age of the church, there's whatever the new winds of whatever are in whatever culture. And so, but, but scripture hasn't changed. You know, the message of the good news hasn't changed. So hopefully there's that context there so that now as we enter into that hard conversation about, yeah, and here's what I think scripture would teach or what's good or what's right. It's not just detached from our life and relationships with these men and women, but it's also not detached from just the broader message to, to repent and believe the good news. And here's the good news. But that's again, broad answer. That's good. So we have time for, I think two more and then we're going to be, be all done. Jamie, did you have a question? So, oh, you had, I'm sorry. You had the mic. I'm sorry. Never mind. My bad. Jamie, we'll come back to you. Yep. Uh, hi, my name is Langston. Um, my question is just for anyone on the panel. So I've had a, a handful of conversations with different uh, brothers in Christ who are seeking to faithfully serve the Lord um, and who have, you know, sort of expressed the same-sex attraction. Um, my question is that a lot of times for these brothers, they'll also express attraction to, like, you know, women as well. Um, and I'm generally like, yeah, cool. Let's go for that. It's good. Seems right. If they're expressing it that way, but I'm just not, I'm wanting to make sure that that's like, or just wanting help to think through how to exhort slash exhort them in that better. Um, so I know on the website or whatever, there was like a story of a couple who, you know, got married and there was like same-sex attraction on part of one of the spouses. And, you know, just the emphasis on transparency and other things is particularly on um, Sam's website. But just other practical, helpful hints or tips to help people think through that. Can you repeat the question? I'm struggling with the acoustics in here. Sure. Can you repeat the question? Because your mic's clearer than the roving ones. Yeah, how, how do you just sort of minister to a brother who's not necessarily certain just on same-sex attracted or attracted to the other gender but is ambivalent? There's, or there's a little bit of both. And so there's a part of you that wants to say, to say hey, yeah, brother, go, go, yeah, women, that's good. And you want to push, encourage them that way, but yet toward marriage or toward, but then what if there's still all these ambivalent feelings and some attraction to men there too? Is that really wise counsel? Is that kind of your... Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think you, you, you did pick up on the, the need to be transparent. So I think we, what we must never do is hide these things from someone that we're even potentially thinking we might one day marry. So you do hear horror stories of, of people with same-sex attraction thinking, well, if I marry someone of the opposite sex, that'll fix it. And it's kind of, 
you know, a surprise that gets sprung on them on the honeymoon is, oh, and by the way, dear, um, which is a, a, just a very ungodly and unkind way of, of doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we need to pray for wisdom. If we think there's a sort of an ambiguity, perhaps, about whether we will be able to have a healthy marriage to someone of the opposite sex, we, that should make us very cautious about going into it. We need to pray for wisdom. We need not only that person to know about the ambiguities, we need other people who are, are wise and know us well to speak into our situation as well and to say whether they think we're, we're being wise or not. And we need to, to pray for God to make it clear. If in doubt, don't. I think would be my advice. That's good. You've had your hand up for, for a little while. Give us your, your name. Um, so I've met many men and women who've struggled with um, SSA that I've uh, sought counseling with ex-SSA uh, counselors in the Christian community, and they've healed and have gone on to marry and have kids. And uh, would you discourage therapy that is helping you get in touch with the wounds that many people have seen to cause SSA that has been proven to cause SSA? So again, acoustics aren't great. So in terms of counseling therapies that try to help us become a bit more heterosexual, that kind of thing. Yeah, because I've met many people, and there are many uh, Christian organizations all over the country and groups that meet regularly. And there's also a large organization that goes to Capitol Hill called, um, it's an ex-gay organization. And these are people that have healed from SSA. And many, even I know of a counselor personally who has healed from um, SSA, and he's a Christian. And uh, do you discourage therapy um, because it's been proven to help people, even not necessarily diminish, but it's helped to uh, decrease so it's, it's less of a struggle. Thank you. It, it depends on the therapy and the assumptions behind it. So with some instances I've encountered of reparative therapy, two of the assumptions they've been operating under I think are, are unbiblical. One is that in some cases they, they will say same-sex attraction is essentially a developmental issue. So once we can figure out what went wrong in your development, we can counsel around that and that will, that will fix you. I think that's an overly simplistic understanding of, of where same-sex attraction comes from. And it tends to, uh, I've seen this happen a few times, it tends to be, if a Christian has come from a kind of stable, happy home, the therapist is kind of saying, no, but some, something must have happened and they're kind of trying to almost manufacture some trauma you must have gone through in early childhood. Um, The other issue I would have with some of these forms of therapy, and I touched on this, I guess, at the end of the talk, is they assume the goal of the Christian life is heterosexual marriage. And that is not the goal of the Christian life. Mm -hmm. Heterosexuality is not an entailment of of holiness. Um, Whether our sexual feelings are towards the same gender or the opposite gender, actually our goal is is to be pure and to become more like Jesus. So some forms of therapy are a little bit heterosexuality or bust. And I've even heard, I'm very sad to say, of one 
such therapy running under Christian auspices that encourages same-sex attracted Christians to look at heterosexual pornography to try and awaken opposite sex lust. And you kind of think there are about 17 things wrong with that. Um, you know, if my, if my sexual feelings changed and I started being attracted to women, I would still struggle with sexual temptation. There may not be a net increase in holiness, it's just I've moved from this theatre of battle to this theatre of, of, of battle. Um, the only other thing I, I want to say is that when it comes to the issue of, of change, God is sovereign and can do exactly what he wants. I know people whose same-sex attraction has dramatically changed, not necessarily because they were pursuing it or going through a particular course to affect it, but just because that's how the Lord decided to, to progress and move things in their, in their instance. I know many others whose same-sex attraction has basically remained, but they have been able to get married. And I know others for whom the same-sex attraction hasn't really changed and they've found that marriage would not be would not be realistic. The change God does promise is the change that matters the most, and that is we will become more like Jesus Mm -hmm. as we go on in the Christian life. Mm -hmm. And so if if that is our goal, actually whether we marry or not becomes just less less slightly less important. Mm -hmm. It's sort of big thing, it's sort of either way it's a great gift but actually one of the things that has changed in me is I don't hanker after marriage as much as I used to and uh, I don't think that's because I've become jaded and cynical in my very young age Um, I hope it's because actually I cherish something else more that in Christ I, I am married I have the reality that the earthly temporal marriage points to and it just makes it less of a kind of a big deal praise God well thank you all for for serving us by taking questions thank you all for for being here with us tonight um, we're going to hang out for a little while if you'd like to, to ask ask more questions but uh, there's also refreshments please clear all those out I don't need them at my house at all um, I'm going to ask John would you pray for us and uh, send us home well, Father what a marvelous promise and truth to close upon it's just uh, someday we will see him face mm-hmm. to face and be like him. Yes. We will be like Christ because we will see him just as he is. And so we pray that you would raise all of our affections to love you more, to trust you more, to delight in Jesus with all of our hearts, to worship you in spirit and truth. We also ask that you would make us wise as we love one another, that you would make us wise in the ministry of the word and of the gospel, that you would make us wise in our homes and our communities and our workplaces, that you would uh, just make us careful and loving and truthful and gracious with our words, and that we would trust you as a God who is sovereign, who does great things and puts treasures in earthen vessels so that the surpassing glory would be of you and not of us. And so in Christ's name we pray. Amen.